following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, our journey through the darkness is over. We've been in Lent for weeks, and it's been so ashen. But today is Easter Sunday at last. And we come together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the conquering of Satan, sin, and death, and the new life that springs out of the empty tomb and washes over us, healing us as it forgives us. But at Easter time in our culture, as you probably know, I think sometimes it's easy to get distracted from the real message, the real meaning of the day. There's a temptation to focus on these, these little distractions instead of on what God wants to do in and among and through all of us. It's almost as if someone out there wants us to miss the point. And right now, some of you, especially those who don't know me very well, think that I'm talking about colorful eggs and fluffy bunnies. I am not. Those things are fun. And mostly harmless, I think, right? Can we get over the culture war thing about the Easter Bunny? I'm talking about the way that the church has focused on just this little sliver of the gospel story to the detriment of the rest of the story. We tend to, to, if you imagine the, the, the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ as a sphere, we sort of stand back and point at it but we point at the, we tend to just aim our little fingers at the, the, the edge of the circle instead of the center, I think. And so what happens is we shave off this part from the whole, and this little part becomes our new gospel. So at Easter, it's very common and even expected. Some of you pre rolled your eyes before you came here today especially if you came with a friend, that you will hear a message that calls you to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is one of my least favorite little bits of Christian jargon. And the next page in that book is usually something along the lines of, if, if we could just get enough of us to have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our nation will turn back to God. As if our nation ever actually had a moment when it was facing anything except the mirror. That kind of thing is the distraction I'm worried about on Easter Sunday. But hold on. Uh, Let's slow down and let me take a deep breath. Before we dig into this idea, um, I do want to give you the last of our community spiritual practices If you've been with us through Lent, you know that each week we have focused together on on a particular ancient spiritual discipline, a a practice, if you will, and uh, we've had one per week, and then we've had a a meditation from Scripture that goes with that each week as well, and we've been handing out these little cards that describe what's going on, and then people have written on the back of them and brought them in and hung them up here. And as I said last week, if you haven't gone up here and read some of these cards, you're really missing out on part of the experience. The responses that some people, some of, some of you guys have had to this experience has been, have been really powerful. 
Um, and so uh, there's one more spiritual practice that we want to do together. And even though Lent is over, we're now in the season of Easter, um, it's, it's, a, it's a good one for that occasion because the discipline, the practice is celebrate. Did you know that celebration is a, is a classical Christian spiritual discipline? Uh, and so your discipline this week that you should do, you should try to carve out a time to do this one time in a special way is celebrate. And there's a daily meditation from Psalm 126. Could I have um, one person from each of these four sections of seating come and, and just hand out these cards while we get going on the other stuff? Thank you. Thank you. So take those and uh, you can, we'll leave this up for another few weeks. You can bring your cards back at any time and, and you know, the, the practices of the faith are not restricted to during Lent. So if you missed one and you want to catch up, that's totally fine. Encouraged, in fact. So I've said just now that the typical Easter message is a distraction from the real story, when you might be wondering, um, I hope you're curious, curious enough to wonder anyway, that what, what I do think the real story is. Uh, well, fortunately, today's readings, which are uh, listed in, in the Revised Common Lectionary, which we've been using for the past several weeks, happen to tell this whole story really nicely. And so for the next few minutes, uh, I want to look at four texts together, um, and we'll it's not as much as it sounds, probably. And uh, the good news is that a lot, of the, a lot of what you hear will be the words of Scripture rather than the words of Scott, um, which is good for you. So hopefully by the end of looking at these, these texts together, we'll, um, we'll be on the same page about this, this story. The first one, I'm just going to read a couple of verses from the psalm that was our call to worship this morning, Psalm 118. The first two verses of it really set the table for everything else in this beautiful way. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. In the second verse, let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. This is the foundation of everything else that we'll talk about. This is the, the, this is the prequel to the story, if you will. God's love is the foundation. And it endures forever. Now, especially in that second verse, you can see when it says, let Israel say, that this love was understood to be rather particular. It was... First of all, for Jews, more than for Gentiles. And then within the Jewish community, it was for men more than women. And for free people more than servants and slaves. And it was for the holiest ones more than for the screw-ups. And the original call that had been given to Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith, which was that, he, that God would bless him and that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The selective memory of religion had remembered the first part, how convenient, that God would bless 
Abraham and his people, and had mostly forgotten about or chosen to ignore the second part that his people were then to be a blessing to the other peoples. So God's steadfast love is eternal. It endures forever. But you have to be careful that it doesn't that you don't turn it into something more selective than it actually is. Let's go to the 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 big story. Luke 24. And uh we are like a, a junior high dance. We are semi-formal. Um, one of the things that makes us sort of formal is that during these times uh, of the year, we ask you to stand for the reading of the gospel. So would you stand for the reading of the gospel story today? Luke 24, 1 through 12, is of course the reason we are here today. How many of you were here for Good Friday and uh, the Tenebrae service and, and left this room in utter darkness and despair. On the first day of the week, I love that first word is but actually, I shouldn't skip that word because that's a big but. <laughs> Don't. We're standing for the gospel. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. And then this verse 5 tells us who the they is. The women uh, were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. You can be seated. So what is that great cry of the church today? Can, can a woman in the room please start this for us? Because I can't do it. That was rather pathetic. <laughs> I'm not going to make you do it again, but... <laughs> Thank you. Why can't I say that? <laughs> who were the people who were the first witnesses to this? Who went and told all the others? The women. And what did, the, what did those jerks think? It seemed to them an idle tale. Oh, you girls, your stories. Remember how I said the women less than the men? Sort of like the Gentiles less than the Jews. The marginalized ones 
of this society were the ones who were given the privilege of seeing evidence of the resurrection first before anyone else and of going to preach the first gospel sermon. (laughs) So um, the next time someone tries to get real picky with you about some of the New Testament and says that women shouldn't preach, you can point them to this story and say, tell it to Mary Magdalene. We have the first evangelists, and we have the first skeptic. Wherever there's an evangelist, there's a skeptic. It's guaranteed. In fact, we have a whole room full of skeptics. One of them, Peter, was brave enough to go and look. But knowing what we know about Peter from the other stories in the Gospels, I wouldn't be surprised if Peter was just going so that he could go back and prove them wrong and shout them down. But what was Peter when he got to the tomb? Amazed at what had happened. For that matter, what were the women when they got to the tomb? Verse 4, they were perplexed. Aren't we all a little perplexed and amazed today? I mean, this is is quite a story. Let's march it out a little bit, a little bit in, in, in time here and go to Acts 10. Did you know that the same person who wrote the book of Luke wrote the book of Acts? Acts is the story of what happened in the church after these events. Acts 10, 34 through 43 is our, our passage for today. Uh, if you're reading along in the Red Bibles and maybe if you're reading in your own Bible, what does the section header say here? Anybody have it handy? Gentiles, hear the good news. Uh oh. God is going to mess with our expectations here. Now, of course, that's not part of the original text. You know that. That's an editorial thing, but still, it is what's going to happen. Then Peter began to speak to them I truly understand. And if you read the story that happens before this in the, in the, the chapter 10 of the book of Acts, um, you, you know why he's saying, Now I truly understand. That God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You see Peter uh, Peter talking about uh, Jerusalem and, and and the prophets... And this rabbi, all of these Hebrew Jewish things, but then he's expanding it. 
And if you do, if one of the techniques of, of good inductive Bible study is, you can try this sometime, take a passage of scripture and then just like make a, a circle around all the words that are the same or mean similar things. And then if you come up with another word that's repeated throughout, make a square around that one and maybe double underline one and you can begin to see these themes rise up off the page. And if you were doing that with this one, you would see a bunch of words like every nation and anyone and all and everyone. So Peter is taking all this specific revelation stuff, all this special calling uh, of the Jewish people, and it's expanding from, from the religious insiders to the religious very outsiders. God shows no partiality. And here we see Abraham's original calling expressed and coming to fruition. And the catalyst for that is the resurrection of Jesus. Abraham's blessing was not just for himself and his ancestors. It was to be given to all the nations of the earth. And then for our last passage, let's march it out just a little bit more in time to the book of Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. That's a a trick for you. Now you don't have to go to seminary. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. Um, Some interesting things about this. This this letter was written to a a group of Christians who were kind of spiritually syncretistic, meaning that they wanted to make everything meld together. They wanted to take a little bit of Jewish legalism and a little bit of Christian doctrine and a little bit of pagan practice and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, add some peanut butter, stir it up, and make their own kind of thing. Does this sound at all familiar to you? Is this at all like what we try to do today? And Paul is calling them back in this letter to the, the core of Christian doctrine. And if you want to see that core, read, read chapter 1, especially 15 through 30. That, that's some amazing stuff right there. Um, but we're looking at chapter 3, 1 through 4. And the other thing... What's interesting about this, this text is that this was written probably 25 to 30, maybe 35 years after the events that were described in the gospel passage. In other words, after the resurrection. This is like, um, what's the thing I said last year? What were we doing? What was I doing 25 years ago? I was, I was listening to Bon Jovi, <laughs> right? Actually, I was, and I was listening to Nirvana. 25 years ago was not that long ago. And uh, if somebody told you today that Kurt Cobain had risen from the dead 25 years ago, it would be, you could be sort of like, come on, man. No. I mean, we were alive then. We're alive now. This is not a difficult problem. That's not true. Paul's writing this letter in that same time frame. Somehow we still have it 2,000 years later, and that's significant to me. Anyway, that's not what I'm here to say today. Listen to last year's Easter sermon if you want to hear that one. 
Colossians 3, 1 through 4. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So this, especially the end of this passage, is, is, is looking all the way to the end of things, the end of everything. Christ, who is your life, is revealed. Then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So we started with Psalm 118, talking about God's love, which endures forever. We see that love so profoundly expressed in the resurrection, in the gospel passage. And you see it extending here through the book of Acts to all the nations and then in Colossians all the way to the end of time. This expectation, this what theologians would call an eschatological hope, (laughs) a hope for the future, a hope for the end. But I especially like how this chapter starts with this lovely and sort of bizarre but amazing image of being raised with Christ. It seems to me that if you thought about the most holy and important moment in all of your religion's history, that moment that was experienced by God himself, made incarnate as a human being, the resurrection, the natural thing to want to do would be to set that way up high on your highest religious shelf. And what Paul is saying instead is that you, and the yous are almost always plural in these things. We don't have a plural you in in modern English, but in Greek there's a plural you, y'all. All of you have been raised with Christ. That holiest moment, you are smack right in it. And if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Or seek those things which are heavenly, which are divine, which are those which God wants to bring about. See, that's the grand story of which we are a part. From God's steadfast, eternal love beginning of time until the end of all things when it reaches its fruition and we will be revealed with him in glory. And there's life and death and new life at all points in between. The life and death and new life of Christ is the source and symbol, though, of all that is expected and available to us. See, the message of all these passages taken together is is not that the resurrection is some disconnected event, some untouchable miracle that you can appropriate for yourself by saying a short little prayer and having a personal, read, private relationship with God through Jesus. 
that is not, in my estimation, what this big story is actually telling us. It is true that you can have a relationship with God on a personal level. That language, I think, started in a good place, but it has been so co-opted and overused and, and misapplied and ruined, we should just stop saying it. The message of all of this stuff together is that you are raised with Christ, and not just you, but us, we. Everyone who believes in him, as Peter said in that sermon in the Acts passage, God shows no partiality, no favoritism. In every nation, he said, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And I do think, I hinted at this earlier, that, that to an extent we have, we have this nation's problem as American Christians. We are sort of xenophobic and we kind of try to uh, superimpose Christianity onto American patriotism. That's a sermon series for another day. But I don't think that we quite have ex- exactly the same problem that, the, that maybe the, the people of Israel had when Peter had to preach this sermon to welcome the Gentiles into the Christian faith. I think probably what we have is, a, is more of a societal problem, that we are failing to... Someone said, um, the God place isn't a place for us unless it's a place for all of us. Which means the gamblers and the robbers and the hypocrites and the drunks and the mentally ill and the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. So you see how these two bookend values that Artisan Church holds, community and justice, flow into and out of one another, or they should at least. That that expressing godly justice means embracing the other, embracing people who are not like us. And that when we do that, we actually come into tighter community together. And if we're in community with each other, we're going to want to do that more. And they, this, this thing just kind of goes and goes. Justice flows out of community, and community flows out of justice, but they both flow out of the resurrection. God shows no partiality. Everyone, all, brought together by the miracle of the resurrection. This, by the way, is why we are doing a series on justice starting next week, right after Easter. Because our, our embrace of justice, to the degree that we have ever been able to live it out really well, is not just because we think it's a cool idea. It's actually the natural expression um, of people who are raised with Christ, people who are participating in the resurrection. That starts next week. So live into the full calling of this whole story. It's about so much more than just taking a, this individualistic, personalized, eternal insurance policy kind of thing. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. We who are in Christ were raised to raise up other people. 
We have to embrace the eternal love expressed in Psalm 118. We have to share and live out the good news that the Apostle Peter preached. That the doors are flung wide open to all people. The old barriers have been broken down. Spiritual outsiders are being called home and welcomed. And you have to be raised with him. Set your mind on the things that are above. I want to conclude with a beautiful, old, old, old Easter homily from his Sitius of Jerusalem. Some of this was on the screen beforehand in our, in our, as our worship meditation, and, and I'm going to read a little bit beyond this, but these first words are really great, so I put them on the screen. This is what it's about. Hidden first in a womb of flesh, he sanctified human birth by his own birth. Hidden afterward in the womb of the earth, he gave life to the dead by his resurrection. Suffering, pain, and sighs have now fled away. For who has known the mind of God, or who has been his counselor, if not the Word made flesh, who was nailed to the cross, who rose from the dead, and who was taken up into heaven? This day brings a message of joy. It is the day of the Lord's resurrection when... With himself, he raised up the race of Adam. Born for the sake of human beings, he rose from the dead with them. On this day, paradise is opened up by the risen one. Adam is restored to life and Eve is consoled. On this day, the divine call is heard. The kingdom is prepared. We are saved and Christ is adored. On this day, when he had trampled death underfoot, made the tyrant a prisoner and despoiled the underworld, Christ ascended into heaven as a high king in victory, as a ruler in glory, as an invincible charioteer. He said to the Father, Here am I, O God, with the children you have given me. And he heard the Father's reply, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. To him be the glory now and forever through endless ages. Amen. So you got a, a, a B-minus modern sermon and an A-plus ancient sermon all in one today. <laughs> each week, it's not just an Easter thing, each week we respond to the word and its proclamation at the table of the Lord, but today day on Easter, how much more special might this be to receive into your bodies his body, his blood, broken for you, shed for the forgiveness of your sins, given to you for healing and as spiritual food. All of you who are in this place today who are seeking to follow Jesus, regardless of whether you are in or out culturally, are invited to his table because he invited all of them to his table. We'll continue to worship him as always with, uh, with some more songs and uh, you can bring your children and have them participate in this moment if you would like them to or you can get them after if you'd prefer. Um, but our table is open now. At Artisan, we do in tincture. You just tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice. Receive it.
And remember as you stand next to someone who is other that you are leveled by this sacrifice, by the resurrection, and you are raised with him together. Let's take communion. Let's pray. If you'd like prayer with the prayer team, they'll be up here. Uh, And let's worship together. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.